There are two scripture readings this morning that the sermon will be based on. The first comes in the book of Acts, the 15th chapter, verses 1 through 11. It says, some men came down from Judea to Antioch, and they were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. And this news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. And then a second reading as we're going through the book of Galatians. This morning we come to Galatians 2, verses 1 through 5. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. May God bless to our understanding the reading of this, His holy word. Amen. Well, we're going to start today with some background information, some terms, some names, some places, so that um, we get some help in understanding Galatians and those verses that we just read this morning. And the first piece of background, the first term we need, is the place called Jerusalem. Uh, That was church headquarters. That was the mothership for the early Christians. And though the gospel was spreading to many other continents, many other places, Jerusalem was home base. The main leaders were there. And that was where the essence of what was then a new thing called Christianity 
was being worked out. And it was in Jerusalem that a monumental meeting took place with all the church leaders. And we read about that meeting in Acts chapter 15, and we'll get to more of that in a bit. But Paul went to Jerusalem for this conclave, if you would. And he says that he went in direct revelation, in response to direct revelation to the Lord. Now here we get a look at the mystical, the more mysteriously spiritual side of Christian faith. At various times, in various ways, God apparently and does visit people, appear to people through an angel, a voice, a vision, some kind of visitation in what other ways, who knows, a word of knowledge maybe. There are several places in the New Testament where Paul receives direct revelations from the Lord. One time Paul received a vision of a man calling him to, go to, Macedon, to come to Macedonia. And Paul took that as God's revelation to him to go to that place and to preach the gospel message. There were times the Lord appeared to Paul to give him encouragement, to give him comfort in difficult situations or to direct him where he needed to go. We get glimpses of this happening, but we don't get a lot of detail exactly how it happened. It was in a vision. It was in some other way that the Lord directed Paul to go to Jerusalem. Now, Paul took with him Barnabas and Titus. Who were these men? Well, Barnabas was very integral in Paul's life. Uh, Barnabas' name means son of encouragement. And in the scripture it says, we read that he was a good man. He was full of faith. He was full of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Barnabas was well thought of by everyone in the early church. He was a very respected leader. He had introduced Paul to the pillars of the church and become Paul's advocate convincing them that indeed Paul's conversion was true. He wasn't faking it. Yes, he at one time had been a fire-breathing, Christian-hating persecutor of the church, but he was the real deal now. Barnabas risked his reputation, kind of stuck out his neck for Paul to show he is indeed now a changed man. Barnabas became a companion with Paul on his missionary journeys, and he saw eye to eye with Paul on the idea about the Gentiles being fully accepted by God without needing to keep the Jewish law. Barnabas was a bridge builder between Jews and Gentiles. He really sought for unity with all the Christians. And together, Paul and Barnabas, these two men, even though they were Jewish themselves, took it upon themselves. Their burden was to go to the non-Jewish areas, the Gentile areas, and to share the gospel of Christ with those people. Now, the other person that Paul brought with him to Jerusalem was Titus. We have a book of the Bible, a letter from Paul to Titus as part of our New Testament. I will give you a free pass out of jail and let you pass, go, and collect $200 if you can tell me the name of that book. And the name of the book to Titus is what? Titus, very good. You're on. And Titus was a pastor in Crete. Crete was not an easy place to be a pastor or a Christian. There was a saying that Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and they are lazy gluttons. And Paul said every word is true. A tough people to get the message of Christ across. But 
Titus must have been an exceptional person. One time, Paul was going through a very tough time, time of conflict, and he writes, but God comforted us by the coming of Titus. Titus was a co-worker with Paul, and Paul describes him like being a son to him. Paul trusted Titus. He sent him on a mission to collect money for the church, and he trusted him to bring all that money to where it needed to be for the poor in the church. Titus was also, and this is key, he wasn't Jewish, he wasn't of Israel, he was Greek. Now, the purpose of this big powwow in Jerusalem had to do with the issue of Gentile. So here's our next piece of background information. Gentile means you're not Jewish. Back near the beginning of the Bible, God promised Abraham that from Abraham would come a great nation, uh, that this nation would become, that the nation became Israel and they would be separate from every other nation and people. They would be God's chosen special people after God saved them out of Egypt and the slavery and the oppression that they knew there, which God did through Moses. And God gave Israel, and Israel alone, the law, his, his, his law. Well, anyone who is not of Israel is a Gentile, which originated just as a word meaning nations, uh, and came to mean all other people except the nation of Israel. God told Israel, don't participate with the other nations, don't practice their religions, don't marry with them. Israel, the Jews, were to belong to God and to worship Him only. And as Israel tried to remain separate from the nations, it led to kind of a very hard and exclusive attitude against Gentiles being everyone else. And by the time of Christ, when a Jew used the term Gentile, it was a term of scorn. It was a, um, it was a stigma. It was a moral designation as much as anything, uh, just like calling someone a tax collector or a prostitute. Gentiles were not only considered different, but they were considered now inferior. Tacitus, a Roman historian, wrote this about the Jewish mindset. They regard the rest of mankind with all the hatred of enemies. And the rest of mankind was Gentile. But Gentiles were noted in the Old Testament prophecies about being part of God's kingdom when God's Messiah would come. And people, when Jesus came, people questioned him, are, are you going to go to the Gentiles? Are you going to go talk with them? Are you actually going to go into those areas, those neighborhoods? And Jesus showed how one can remain loyal to the ways of God and yet be very accepting of people on the outside and welcoming of all people. He had powerful encounters with Gentiles. He reached out to Gentiles. He shared with them. He healed them. He taught them. He accepted them. The early church was forced to take up the standing of the issue of Gentiles before God when Gentiles began to show they had faith in Christ. And so they had this big shindig in Jerusalem. And some men were teaching that unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Which brings us to our last piece of information of the morning, and that is circumcision. Back in the early days of Genesis and those opening pages of the Hebrew Scriptures near the beginning of the story of God, when God tells Abraham he's going to make a great nation of him, he says that he will be the father of these people, and then the Lord gives Abraham circumcision as the sign of his people. Abraham is told this is going to be the mark that someone belongs to God that 
and that every male who was born should be circumcised. Obviously, this was just a male thing. And this is the sign now of being an insider, part of the people of God. Circumcision is the cutting away of the foreskin of the male, the most private part of a man. It touches the identity, it touches the intimacy. To the Jews, a man who was not circumcised was not a Jew. You could have full-blooded Jewish parents, but until you were circumcised, you still were not considered Jewish. Jewish rabbis even taught that unless the sign of Abraham was in a man's flesh, he couldn't eat the Passover. He was not to eat the Passover, the most holy celebrated meal of the Jewish people. If you were a Jew, you automatically received the blessings of God. There was no way, there was no way you could be sent to eternal punishment, they believed, as long as you were circumcised. And some rabbis actually taught that if a Jew was just, I mean, just so bad, just so bad that God had to eternally condemn him, that there was an angel there to uncircumcise him before he got sent into eternal punishment. That's how powerful the symbol was. Jews believe circumcision, the sign of being of the people of God, automatically put you right with God. At this big powwow in Jerusalem, the church leaders shared how they're seeing the Gentiles touched by the Holy Spirit, how God is blessing these people and sharing how they have the same signs of having faith. And they conclude that loading down these new believers with rules that crushed not only their ancestors, but crushed them was just wrong. And the final decision was, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. Jews and Gentiles alike saved by grace. Well, apparently during this time, some Jewish believers whom Paul called spies noted that Titus had not, he was not an Israelite, he was Greek, and therefore he'd not been circumcised. And they make a ruckus about this. But Paul checked it out with the leaders in Jerusalem. In essence, Titus became a test case. On the one hand, you know, Paul had been writing the Galatians about this message he proclaimed and saying he didn't get it from the apostles, nobody taught it to him, he got it from the Lord. On the other hand, he also wants them to know he has the approval and the support of the apostles. Paul's no no lone ranger. He didn't want to cause division. And his visit to Jerusalem showed, first of all, that he wanted unity and also he desired accountability. You know, he had had direct revelations from the Lord and even though this had happened, uh, he wasn't above putting his message before others for debate and for discussion. He wanted to check it out with them. He didn't play his powerful conversion experience or... He didn't, he didn't take his, his revelations from the Lord and use those as trump cards and say, I'm better than all of you. I don't have to listen to all of you. He was accountable to God, and he was accountable to the council and to the body of Christ. Now, again, this contention over Titus became a kind of test case of grace. By taking this non-Jewish Greek guy, this outsider, to Jerusalem, to the leaders, to the mothership, and put him before Paul was now going to find out, is the gospel really of grace? Because if we're saved by grace, they're going to say there's no reason for Titus to need to be circumcised. Would Titus be accepted solely on the basis of his faith? 
Well, all the leaders, and Paul and Barnabas and Titus, they stuck to their guns. And through Titus' situation, they confirmed, we are indeed saved by our faith in the grace of the Lord Jesus, not by keeping the law, not by any religious ceremony. Titus did not need to be circumcised. Well, as my New Testament professor in seminary, J. Christian Becker, used to say, so what? So what? Oh, great, we have all this Bible information, a lot of nice background. You've done some nice studying. Oh, we know what Gentiles are, who they are, and we know what circumcision is, and we know all these terms and these things. Gee, maybe next time I watch Jeopardy, they'll have a category in Paul and Galatians. Won't that be great? But so what? What does it mean for us today? The circumcision is not our issue anymore. The Gentile-Jew battle, that's, that's not on our plate. Here's the principle I think that still carries for us today. In J.B. Phillips' translation of Galatians, he puts Paul's words about those whose shorts got all in a wad about Titus not being circumcised. He says this, they wormed their way into our meeting to spy on the liberty we enjoy in Jesus Christ and then attempted to tie us up with rules and regulations. Where do people try to tie up people today with a lot of rules and regulations in the church? Where do people in the church add entrance requirements? You know, whenever we add requirements to Jesus, we violate grace. Oh, you need Jesus and you've got to work in the church. You need Jesus and you've got to be able to speak in tongues. You need Jesus and you need to read from the right Bible. You need Jesus and a verifiable born-again experience. You need Jesus and you have to worship in, in this certain way. You need Jesus and you can't associate with those people in that religion, in that neighborhood with the way they are you need jesus and you have to understand that doctrine or concept before we let you in we don't need jesus and something else grace doesn't mean well now you're saved and anything goes but our being accepted by god comes by means of jesus alone paul says he didn't give in to those who wanted to circumcise titus They didn't give in. You know, sometimes stubbornness is a gift. And those leaders were very stubborn when it came to grace. They were stubborn. They were not going to tie people up with rules and regulations. Don't give in. Don't give in to a gospel that says, well, good people go to heaven. Because that puts it right back on our behavior and trusting in our own goodness. And no one is as good as God. Let me tell you that right now. It is subtle. It comes up in subtle ways, so be careful. Don't give in to, make, to those who make standing with God based on our performance. Don't give in when people give a, list of check, a, a checklist of things to earn God's favor, and you've got to do those 13 things. Don't give in to those who say, just try harder. 
Don't give in to those who say, we will only let you in if you've done such and such, such and such and such and such. The only requirement is faith. The details of Paul, Galatians, Titus, they're very different. But the gospel of grace has not changed. And we need to stubbornly insist that grace has not changed. You may be a formal member of a church, and you may not be. You may be an avid Bible reader, and you may not know the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, You may be an every Sunday worshiper, and you may show up once in a while. When it comes to being right with God, quite frankly, none of that matters. It's Jesus alone. Our relationship, our acceptance by God comes through him. Some wanted to see Titus. They considered him a second-class Christian. There are no second-class Christians. Now, we have to be careful about excluding people from salvation because of their race or their age or their class or maybe even their church experience. Churches can sometimes even discriminate on the basis of relative righteousness. You know, churches have a way of, we have a way of ranking sins. If someone's struggling with pride or impatience or anger, eh, that's okay. We can talk about that. If someone's struggling with depression or in their marriage, with their sexuality or some addiction, well, better keep it quiet. And maybe people keep quiet out of fear that if someone knows, they're afraid they're going to be told they don't belong. You know, part of our freedom in Christ is the freedom to not be okay. And sometimes, and at different times, we're all not okay. Titus was no second-rate brother. He was a first-rate Christian. He was a test case for grace. And you know what, really? We're all test cases for grace. What does it take to be a member in God's family? It takes faith in Jesus Christ and that we are accepted by God solely through what Jesus did on the cross and by that empty tomb for us. Nothing more, nothing less. Let's pray. Amen. Father, we are thankful for the grace shown us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Protect us from whatever might be thrust at us that tempts us to earn our own way or to trust in something other than your grace. We thank you for our freedom in Christ. We thank you for what he has done. Amen.